Good morning, church family. You know, where is she? I just saw Pat a minute ago. Where's Pat? I remember now. This is a reminder. Tuesday night, there is another, it's a hand of God meeting. The first one was very successful. Uh, you're invited, ladies, to this meeting, correct? At 6 to 8. So it's this Tuesday. Um, I believe, is, is it Leanne Walters teaching it? Yes. I just looked at their bulletin. I cheated. But I saw your face and remembered that. So Tuesday night, ladies, put that on your calendar. Uh, I heard it was really good. So if you can attend. Well, it's good to see you this morning. I'm going to talk to you today about warnings. I'm giving you a warning. I'm giving you information about signs, things that we see all the time. So if you don't mind, turn into the book of James. Let's look at 12 verses there in chapter 4. We're starting in chapter 4 of the book of James, 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So, I've seen many signs that say, swim at your own risk. That means, hey, if you're going to go swimming, it's on you. There's no lifeguards. I'm from Florida, so most of the signs said gators present, right? Uh, and that's enough to say, yeah, let's not swim. There's signs that say no trespassing. Um, signs as you're approaching, hey, workmen, there's construction ahead. I particularly want to talk about the yellow signs when traveling on a road as we're driving through uh, vacations or, or traveling, you see those yellow caution signs. Sometimes they have words printed on it for your warning. Sometimes they have a picture that expresses that image. It's symbolic of that image, right? There are all kinds of warnings. And there's verbal. We all know about verbal warnings. Some of you remember from school, verbal warnings. Some of you maybe even at work remember verbal warnings. Warnings, they can be constructive. Warnings can be instructive. Warnings can be threatening, though, too, can't they? Absolutely, they can be threatening. But they're beneficial. Why? Because they alert us to potential danger. That is the point of a warning. So here we are diving into this text today, 
And it's talking about fighting and quarreling. Now, this is just not the specific church that James is writing. Oh, am I gone? There we go. It is also the nation of Israel, because there is a lot of history leading up to this. It's the nation. It's the church in general. He says, what is the cause of this? The cause, <laughs> it's your passions. I know we hate to be blamed for things and point the finger at ourselves, but the cause of our fights and quarrels is our passions. They are at war within you. So, your desires, your passions. James, we talked about this in the first chapter of James, James 1, 14, and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, folks, passion can be good. We understand this. But like ambition, we talked about this last week, like ambition, it can also be bad, further supporting uh, the negative concept of desires and passion within James's text, because this is what he is expressing. So just as ambition can be modified with selfishness, right? Selfish ambition, which reveals the application of worldly wisdom in our actions. It reveals that. But so do our passions, so do our desires. When they too are act upon, acted upon in worldly wisdom and worldly influence or with a sick heart. I have not, I'm not going to, paint a pretty picture. I have not lived a sheltered life, okay? Maybe you can join me in that. Um, I've been about, I've probably been in about every bad situation and every bad place you can be. And the reason I say that, and maybe you too can join me in that, is I've lived in this world and for this world, therefore I know the absolute craziness and sickness of this world. Maybe you can, like I said, maybe you understand that with me. So, Having said this, I had to tell you something. I have to say that I believe there are less quarrels and fights in the lowliest of biker bars than there are in the church. You agree with me? I believe there are more fights in the church. Bikers get along better than we do. And if some of you are bikers, I apologize. But I have to say that. I met a pastor friend a few weeks ago, a new pastor friend, <laughs> And he told me this joke. I don't think you're going to find it funny. But he said, hey, pastor. I said, hey, pastor, blah, blah, blah. He goes, you know what I, uh, you know what the only problem is with my job, the only problem with working in a church, the only problem about going to church? I said, what's that? He goes, the people. I said, really? I said, can I use that? He goes, yeah. So I saw him yesterday at a football game. I said, hey, man, I just need your full name and your church name because I want to give you all the credit for this joke. He said I couldn't. But it was a Baptist church. Just kidding, guys. No, even as a teacher, we used to joke. Our favorite times teaching was the week before school. I got a lot of teachers here. The week before school and the week after when we were pre-planning and we were closing out the year and planning days. Why? Because there were no students. Here's the thing. We could not teach without students. I could not have a church without a flock, right? But here's the catch. When you have two or more people in a place, you bring your differences, your opinions. You bring your passions and desires. Oh, I think it should be this way. Well, I think it should be that way. Well, I like blue. Well, I like red. We bring all this, and this is the tension that we bring. And the problem with it is a lot of our passions and desires are not rooted in God. They are rooted in the worldly, which causes the dissension. That dissension in a church is a sickness. 
First off, dissension divides people. Let's start there. I'm siding with this over here because I don't like the color blue. Well, I'm going to go with red. I'm going to come out over here. Dissension starts. But the problem with dissension is it always leads to a split. I believe this church has had a split. Am I right, historians? Is there a split here? My home church had two. I was young at the first one. I don't remember. I think it was theological. But the second one was over music, and they split. And I mean, the church was divided in half. It was crazy. I remember seeing it. And it wasn't the part of splitting that bothered me. It was the nastiness. People that I grew up with going, wow, I want to be like them. People I looked up to and taught me in Sunday school. All of a sudden, it was horrible. It was horrible. That's what happens. And there are warning signs all throughout Scripture for us. There are warning signs for these things. And guess what? They're not there just to fill the book. They're there for us. People don't realize the things that the nation of Israel went through and all these ancient characters that we read about are for us. The Old Testament is riddled with warnings for people and people groups as a whole. Now, I want you to take a second and think about your passions and your desires. Okay? Think about it. Is there a sign that you could design for yourself that you think should be placed in your heart and in your mind that you constantly see so that you're warned? I came up with a good one. I'm not sharing it with you. Keep your signs to yourself, too. My sign is beautiful. It's yellow. And it has a picture of the thing that I need to continually be warned about. Just like when I'm driving down a road where I see it says dip ahead, right? Or I'm driving down the road and I see caution, right? A sharp turn anything. These particular animals cross around this region. Any warning I can have to keep me safe, I want to see the sign. So I've created this sign for me. I want you to start thinking as we dive more into this scripture, the sign that you can design for yourself, something you can see every day that keeps you warned. Because that's what he's warning us about here. James is warning us about the worldliness that we could fall prey to. So looking back to the verses in chapter 3 that we discussed last week, Folks, what we're talking about here are the effects of wisdom that originate in the earthly and the sensual and the demonic, not what comes from above. Not what comes from above. Your passions, the scripture tells us here, are at war, but what is the conflict? Corrupt passions which find their place in the flesh, there's the one side, and then the the principled, the mindful, the conscientious passions that are geared towards good. This is where the worlds collide. This is our issue. This is the war within us. Just like false wisdom and true wisdom can be at war within a person, so are our passions and desires. In fact, man's corrupted passions have turned our planet into a gigantic battlefield. Think of all the wars that have been fought globally on this gigantic battlefield, they all can be traced back to its origins. I'm a huge goal setter. And when I taught, uh, I had a lot of students come to me and say, Mr. Tanner, please help me set goals. We hear you like it and you're into it. And it's kind of my nerdy thing. Yes, let's set goals. So I'd say, student A, where do you want to end up? What's the purpose? What's your accomplishment? What's the task at hand? I mean, what are we looking for here? Because I I, they brought me the most broad goals. Oh, I want to make a million dollars, and I want to have... I'm like, no, 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 let's be real. Give me a specific goal that we can attain. So they give me the goal, and I trace it back to where they were right now. And I said, let's build the steps that are going to get us to that, working backwards. What does it look like? 
And we would trace it back to the origin of that person. The same thing with a war. Folks, you can trace any war, I don't care how small or large, back to its origin, and it's going to end up in this place. And this is what he gets to next. Here is the origin. Okay, thank you, Nick. Here is the origin of what we're talking about with wars that can be traced back. You desire and you do not have. That is where it starts. Think of the most global war, something huge. Thousands and thousands of lives are dead. All the horrible things that, that happened that led up to it. Where it originates is you desire and you do not have. So you murder. There are some who have argued that this word murder or kill was actually meant to be envy. However, there are no authoritative manuscripts okay, and, and, and that support this thinking. Plus, James has a relatively subdued tone here. It's not a climatic statement within the text. And so the fact that the verse continues with a discussion on coveting and quarreling, the correct reading is murder or kill, depending on your Bible. It's, it's, this should be taken in the sense of having a, a murderous temper or a murderous spirit or a murderous disposition. I apologize if the mic goes out. Nick told me we're having a little bit of an issue, but i got to move around. I'm sorry. I cannot be tethered, Nick. So I, I want to talk about this murderous disposition because I, I'm going to be truthful with you. First, I would like to make a new church rule. Uh, no one is allowed to sit next to me to any of my son's sporting events because I am not very pastoral at these sporting events. There's the first rule. Second, I found out, he had an awesome jamboree yesterday. We were out in Martinsville, and he had all these football games, and it was this huge day event, and, and oh my goodness, after the first game, I pulled him aside, and I said, Jackson, come here. <laughs> I said, man, you gotta hit harder than that. You gotta hit these kids and knock them down. Son, I don't want them to get back up. They need to call paramedics on the field when you hit them. What are you doing? I said, you need to crush them. You need to murder them. I said those exact words. But then I said, have fun, and I love you. I did say that at the end. But I was saying, you've got to crush them, man. I didn't want my kid to crush or our paramedics to come out. I didn't want any kid to be hurt. I didn't want him to murder. But it was, the, it was the sense of that spirit, you know. I wanted him to conquer. And that's what we have here when they talk about so you murder. It's a desire to conquer and to possess that of another, Right? It can lead to conflict. And this kind of desire is actual cause, the actual cause of the external conflicts that people experience, including wars. Did you hear me? This is the cause of external conflicts, this kind of attitude and mindset within us. You covet. You covet and cannot obtain. You can't get what you want. So what do we do? You want it so bad, but you can't get it through fairness. You can't get it through honest means. You can't negotiate for it. You can't trade for it. You can't purchase it. So quarreling and fighting become the result of this covetousness. This is what James is telling his audience. You don't have because you did not ask. Okay, I'll ask. You ask but do not receive. Because all you're doing is asking wrongly. Because what is it all about? It's all about your passions. It's improper motives still wanting to gratify your desires. Well, I want conquer. I'm going to take this, and I'm going to fight and quarrel until I get it. No, ask for it. All right, fine, I'll ask for it. But you ask wrongly because you're still gratifying the desires of wanting to obtain this. This is not how a Christian should live. Your intent becomes corrupt 
You want it, James says, you want to spend it on your passions. So how are you asking when we come to God? Fine, I'll ask God. I'll ask, is it greed? Is it lust? Maybe it's pride. I believe the majority of us can agree a lot of times it's pride. I mean, you could be inclined to petition God with some other sinful element, but the type of motivation is wicked. And this is what James wants to express. Why are you quarreling and fighting? It's this. It's your passions. This is what's happening to you. He calls them adulterous people. Now, the feminine form of this word in Scripture with the Greek, the feminine form is adulteresses. Okay? Unfaithful spouses. Because God is the husband, right? God is the husband to whom his people are wed. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. So he is saying, or basically this alludes to Israel's unfaithfulness to God. It alludes to our unfaithfulness to God. Because we become friends. Our friendship is with the world. Our friendship uh, is not the physical world, folks, and not the people of God, but we become friends with the people of the world. Our ultimate devotion can be only directed and shown to one. Just like Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Matthew 6.24. Matthew 6.24 says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What James is describing is a people or a society who actively lives, excuse me, actively lives in rebellion against God. Their mindset, their actions, their attitude, their values, they are contrary to God's. Desire that is born from pride. Desire that seeks prestige and honor, right, at any price. Desire that covets, which can lead to great harm, right, resulting in slander, resulting in strife. This is wickedness that will not allow for the sharing of gifts. This is wickedness that will not allow for the sharing or serving of others. Power and status hold much more value due to the cravings and the appetite of the heart. And this is what James is talking about. When a person acts upon such things in their life, they are manifesting a friendship with the world and at the same time becoming an enemy of God. The Bible tells us that he yearns jealously over the Spirit. Now, folks, this specific statement, it's not found in the Old Testament. James was not citing a word-for-word quote, but giving more of a broad summary of several Old Testament passages that describe God as jealous. And this is probably one of the most difficult verses to translate in this entire letter. Let me tell you why. Is it talking about the Holy Spirit? Or is it talking about the human spirit? Right? Is jealousy or envy, is it righteous or is it unrighteous? Well, since we're talking about God, this would have to be a divine jealousy because we understand Old Testament Scripture that he is a jealous God. But that's a divine jealousness, right? But he yearns over us. He, he longs for us. He di- desires strongly us. And the last part of that verse says this, he is made to dwell. 
He is the cause of the dwelling. And where is the location, ladies and gentlemen? The location is in us. So here's the thing. The question that scholars have had to deal with is this. The word translated spirit. Because we understand the beginning and the end. The word translated spirit. Is it the object, which is the created human spirit? Or is it the subject, which would be the Holy Spirit of the sentence? Let me give you two ways to clarify this so we can truly understand what's happening in this verse. God, who placed man's spirit in him at creation, longs for that spirit's total devotion and loyalty to him. You got that? That's man's spirit. What about this? Or the Holy Spirit, who was given, who was imparted uh, by God at our conversion, yearns jealously or enviously for our total devotion and loyalty to him. Isn't that interesting? Regardless of how you translate this verse, regardless of the view you take, the ultimate point is for his people, unadulterated, right? His people to have unadulterated loyalty and devotion to him. This is clear. That's the point. He yearns jealously over the Spirit. It's easy, and I know this is true for all of us, it's easy to find ourselves overwhelmed when we think of the perfection that God is demanding. And you know what? This is due to you and I being stained with sin. It's you and I uh, due to be living in a broken world, if you will. But God's grace, His grace is sufficient for us. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 12.9, he said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, church family, he gives more grace. He gives more grace to us for the very things that James is warning us about in his letter. It's not for the proud. Listen, God is not going to tolerate a rival. He's not going to compete with worldly wisdom or your pride or um, the exaltation of oneself. No. He gives more grace to the humble. See, God is eager to forgive and welcome all back, all who turn and come back to him. I think of the parable of the prodigal son and the father in that parable. If you remember, he didn't stand there in the distance from his son just tapping his foot and his arm going, oh, here comes that boy. Nope. He didn't stand there going, is he going to come or not? Are we going to do this? No. He ran to him. He ran to him and he embraced his child in love. Not judgment. He wasn't waiting to start a fight and to quarrel with that boy over the stupid things he did. I, I told you so. It's easy to say I told you so, isn't it? Should have listened to me. No, he embraced him in love. Folks, we are called to be humble and submit ourselves to this God, this God of love and forgiveness. We are to submit to him. And this takes us back in applying true wisdom in our lives. Again, what we talked about last week, this true wisdom. We should turn and run from the pride that the wisdom of this world would have us believe is truth. Because this world wants you to believe that pride is absolute truth. Submitting to God's authority and meekness of true wisdom is what James is expressing to the church because he's hearing and seeing the fighting and quarreling within the Jewish nation. He's seen it. 
There's a history. He's seen what happens, the devastation that comes from that. And it all originates with passions and desires. So submitting to God's authority and meekness of true wisdom. We have to look at the cause of our fights, our quarrels, our troubles all together. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a cause. And it's our passions that are at war within us. So how do we combat this? How do we combat these passions and these desires that keep throwing us out of sync with God and out of connection with each other? It's our humble submission. I know this is an easy answer. You're like, ugh, here is a submission again. It's our humble submission to God, which allows his grace to cover us and work in us. See, true wisdom is needed here. I want to go back. You remember James 3.17? We talked about it last week. James 3.17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. Look at all those words. Nick, if you'll just leave that verse up for me. Folks, we can live a life of quarrels and fights. That is easy because we see the world doing it. We can live a life full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. That's easy too. We see it in the world all the time. We can live a life of covetousness, coveting, wicked motives. But this is not a life that is governed by submission to God and the meekness of wisdom, is it? No, our submission to God brings forth the good, the pureness, the peace, the gentleness, the reason, the mercy, the good fruits, the impartiality, the sincerity. Look at those words. Our submission to God is how we combat the passions and the desires that are war within us. Folks, we belong to him. We are his. He yearns jealously over us. He wants to pour out his grace. He wants to saturate us with his grace. That is our loving Father. So look at these fruits. Look at these fruits for me. These are the things that come forth from somebody who is walking in true wisdom, who is in living a life that is submitting to God in the meekness of wisdom. These are the characteristics. i got to ask you, is there any room for bitter jealousy in any of these words? No, they cancel bitter jealousy. Is there any room for selfish ambition? No, there's not. They cancel out selfish ambition. What about fights? No, there's no room for fighting. There's no room for coveting. There's no room for worldly wisdom and what the world sees as truth in this verse and this is what we're to live out i want you to keep thinking about creating those signs creating those signs i'm going to tell you right now i do not want to be in opposition to god i do not want to be a friend to this world and by that being an enemy of god i bet you don't either i can guarantee it but when our passions and our desires take root in the earthly and in the sensual and in the demonic, this is what happens. Guys, they fight to rule over us. But living these, there's no room for that fight. You can serve only one master. It's our choice. James is apparent in his theme here, folks. Throughout this, the, the text of James, throughout this letter, you can choose true religion and you can choose false. Uh, you can choose between true wisdom 
and false. You can choose to be a good tree or bad. You know, we can choose to be a friend of God or an enemy. But Scripture tells us if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Again, think of the prodigal son as he approached his father. He drew near to him, and the father didn't just stand there in anticipation. No, the father drew near to him. As we draw near, the Bible tells us to cleanse your hands. This is to wash, to put away outward transgressions, right? And the Bible also says to purify. Purify your hearts. Now, this is a much deeper work that needs to reach the heart. A much deeper work. But here's the thing. True repentance involves both the inner purification of the heart and the outward behaviors that stem from it. That's the cleansing of our hands. Verse 9 says to, to be wretched, to mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Christians, James is not asking us to relinquish our joy as believers, but to understand something. That when a person is sinned against God or is living in the world of sin in their lives, Heartfelt weeping and mourning are the proper expression of humble sorrow for having disobeyed God. Laughter and joy are not the appropriate response to sinful, world-driven life. That's not the appropriate response. Humility allows God to exalt you. You don't have to fight to exalt yourself as the world would have you do. And ladies and gentlemen, the world says for you to exalt yourself. They fight for it. He will exalt you. And ladies and gentlemen, wouldn't we all rather have the God of all creation responsible for that exaltation rather than ourselves? Absolutely. I like verse 11 and 12, and here's why. It gives us a real-life illustration A real-life illustration of what our passions and desires can cause. In fact, these last two verses take us right back to verse 1. Why are you fighting? Why are you quarreling? To speak evil against one another. Oh boy, the church knows this evil all too well. When we defame and slander or express any kind of speech that attacks another person, We place ourselves in the position of judge. I'm not making this up. James is telling us this through the Holy Spirit. We take the position of judge. What are we doing? (laughs) What are we doing um, to that person in judgment? Think about it. We've all done it. What are we doing to that person in judgment? And what are we doing to God's law when we put him to the side and say we will judge? Why are we taking upon ourselves the role of judge or as lawgiver when the, when the law never gives us position in the first place? I can tell you I've never read anywhere where it states, Mark Tanner, you will be the judge and lawgiver. This is your role. Never. Never. Isn't it ironic that when one plays the role of judge, they are actually breaking the law? Failing to love his neighbor as himself. Failing to treat others as they would want or you want to be treated. We're breaking the law. The proper response is found in submission to God and his law. Are we able to save? Absolutely not. 
Are we able to destroy? No. That belongs to the true judge and the lawgiver and to him alone. He ends with this question, who are you to judge your neighbor? What a question. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Folks, I'm going to go ahead and I'll put myself in the hot seat. I am not a judge. I would be foolish, it would be foolish of me to judge my neighbor because in doing so, I am placing myself in the position of authority and in the position of knowledge that I don't even possess. I don't possess it. This belongs to God alone. Folks, I've been disobedient. You have been disobedient. We have been wicked. We've allowed our inner passions and our motives to be the cause of that wickedness rather than act in love like we are called to do. Again, look at those words. None of this fits within the context of that verse. True wisdom doesn't fit. Submission to God, um, excuse me, true wisdom is what fits. Worldly wisdom doesn't fit. Submitting to the world doesn't fit. All the things and, and character traits that we're talking about in this text, they don't fit. So what are the warning signs before we get to this point of judgment? We've got to start thinking like this. What are the warning signs before we get to this point? What are the warning signs before we start evil speech against each other? What are the warning signs before you and I start to fight and quarrel? What are the warning signs before we align with the world and become an enemy of God? Folks, the warning signs come from the passions and desires from within. You have to search your heart. Sorry, I keep leaving this mic. You have to search your heart. Ask God for conviction. I need you to seriously think about an, a, a symbolic image to place on that sign or the word itself. What is causing your desires and passions to affect others in the church? Where is the origin? And you need to create that sign. We need to be warned. Both in mind and heart, allow these signs to alert you to the potential of danger in your everyday life. Because we know that in church, there will eventually be conflict. There will be conflict. Christians will inevitably sin against one another due to our sin nature. So here it is. The question is not whether this will happen or if it will happen, right? It's this. When we ultimately experience this conflict, how will we respond? Look at the warning signs. True wisdom is what brings us to this submission. Submission to God through his wisdom and his grace is the only way to keep our passions and our desires in check. You want to keep them in check? Then you've got to submit to God, not to yourself, not to the world, because they want you to continue in that pattern of behavior. But this, these words, this verse, will not allow for that. These are beautiful words for us. In fact, these actually could be a catalyst for us to create warning signs for us. I'm having a problem with mercy. Uh, I'm having a problem being peaceful because I want vengeance. Let's use this verse to help us create signs of warning. So submission to God is the only way to live out our passions and keep our desires in check. And submission to God is the only way to live out James 3.17. It is the only way we can do this. We have to pay attention to these warning signs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
Lord, we just want to come to you now and ask you for help. Lord, we know that we are a weak people. We know that we have a sin nature. Lord, we know that we allow our passions and desires to sometimes take root in the worldly, in the sensual, in the demonic, Father. And we know that therein lies the battle. There is the war because we want to do good, but yet we do bad. Paul tells us that in Romans. Father, what we're praying for is a heart that pursues that verse, that 17th verse of chapter 3. We want a verse, Lord, we want to pursue that verse. We want to pursue the words of that verse and live them out in our lives. Help us create the warning signs, Father, to protect us and to keep us safe, just as if we were traveling on a road. That dangerous curve can get us, Father. We pray for this. Convict us, Lord. Illuminate your, uh, the, the, the word, Lord. Illuminate our hearts to our need for the warning. It's, it's a precious thing you do for us. Lord, we love that you saturate us with your grace. And we know your grace covers us. We know your grace is continually working on us. We are a work in progress. We are putty in your hands, Father. But right now, we have got to reach out to you and ask you to help and convict us. Help our hearts. We know we need to cleanse our hands. We know we need to purify our hearts, Father. And we need to submit to your authority and your authority alone if we are going to truly live out true wisdom, if we are going to truly live out peace and mercy and goodness, Father. This is what we're praying for. Convict us. Lord, we just want to thank you for this service. We want to thank you for this day. We want to thank you for the very next breath you're giving us. We love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.